Welcome, movie fans. Dimitri Panos here for Anatomy of a Movie, where please join us in hell today as we talk about Ron Howard's Inferno. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Thank you very much for joining us uh, in today's uh, edition of Anatomy of a Movie, where uh, today we're broadcasting from the seventh ring of hell as we talk <laughs> about Ron Howard's adaptation of the Dan Brown book, Inferno. Today, I have a very special host, first time we've ever worked together. Please say Yay. hello to Emily Harlan. Hi, hi everyone. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be working with you. Yeah, I'm excited to be working with you. Film. Me too. So, <laughs> uh, uh, before we get into it, uh, how, how do people, where do people find you on social media, yes. support you on social media? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at OMG, it's M-L-E. Fantastic, and then we'll remind everybody at the end of yes. the show. Uh, so as I mentioned, we are broadcasting from the seventh ring of hell to talk about Inferno today. Uh, we always open up the show with opinions. Uh, so Emily, yes, please, yes, do me the honors. Uh, let's crack okay. this thing open. Yeah, you know, um, my initial reaction to this film is that I enjoyed it. Uh, I did. I liked how. This film kept me on the edge of my seat from start to finish. As soon as the movie opened, it's like, what's happening? Why are all these people looking? Like, why are we in hell already? (laughs) (laughs) All the way into the end. So I liked that. But I I do have to say that this film had a lot of holes that I think were left without the answers to them. There were a lot of times in this film where I had to kind of connect the dots for myself. I feel like as a movie viewer, I'm somebody who gives a film the benefit of the doubt, you know, sure. where I don't, I don't go, wait, that doesn't make sense. It's over. You know, I kind of go, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's this way. So I feel like that happened a lot throughout the film. Um, and then after really diving into the research, I did not read the books. And after seeing the reviews of people who read the books and seeing how upset they were that the ending was changed, I can understand how this, how a lot of people were not happy with this film and it reflects, and I think, how it was received. Well, I'm going to go to you a little bit later on because I want to know how it, it ended in the books. And, you know, I agree with you 100% about I always try to give a movie the mm-hmm. benefit of a doubt. I do. I, I've, I rarely, if I've ever walked out of a movie, regardless mm-hmm. of how bad it could be, um, I always hope uh, that, that, that things could turn around with a plot twist or something. Yeah. So, and I, I should preface that regarding Inferno, that I read the first three of Dan Brown's Angels and Demons, The Da Vinci Code, and then Lost Symbol. And then Lost Symbol actually sort of kind of lost me. I, I found that there were parts of that book that were interesting, especially this all this U.S. history about the Freemasons and things like that, and symbols that are in use even today that I never knew right. were a part of something else. And those are always the fun of Dan Brown yeah. books is learning that stuff that's you see every day. You just take it for granted or you just don't. Why is that? Why is the pyramid on the dollar bill? Like all right. stuff like that. But then it, it story-wise, it sort of lost me. So with that said, you know, I was like wondering while watching this movie, why couldn't they have gone back to Lost Symbol? Like that was the third book. It could have been fun in a national treasurous sort yeah. of way. Um, but instead they chose Inferno. And folks, uh, you you know, you hear me say this every now and then. Uh, the movie made me angry. Oh, um, no. You know, it felt as if I really, it was in the seventh ring of hell uh, for a movie. Um, I, it was preposterous. Uh, I found it ludicrous plot points and twists, a setup that was so elaborate without the setup of a fake hospital and fake wounds. And it was, it was too much work for the bad yeah. guys to do on top of, you know, they finally got to a sequence that I was enjoying, which happened to come at the very end. It was this sort of kind of underwater sequence thing. Right. And then they ruined that, too, by <laughs> it just going on forever and just becoming just stupid. You know, this business or Hollywood or the movie industry is always like, why aren't adults going to movies? I believe because it's because of movies like this. Yeah. Because they just like, why? Why are you going to? It had everything. It has adults in the movie. It yeah. had. It could have been a far better movie. It just, just. We all know going in if you're adapting a book, 
it's going to be different from the book. Yeah. It usually, it always, it's rarely is it so close to the book that there are going to be some changes. This one could have used some major changes. I would have been fine with it. I didn't read the book. But why they stuck with probably, from what I understand, the worst received of these these series of books by Dan Brown. Like, I just don't, I just don't get it. Yeah, it, it did feel like this book, this movie was completely separate from the franchise. Like, it did not feel to me like it was an extension of The Da Vinci Code or of Angels and Demons. You know, before I watched the film, I binge-watched Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons, mm-hmm. thinking like, okay, I need to know, I need to refresh my mind. Sure. Because there's going to be something that's going to happen, I'm not going to understand it. It, You could have not seen the other two films right. and been completely fine with this film. Like, it, it felt like a completely separate movie a completely separate franchise and i didn't like that you know it's funny it's interesting that you say that though because in ron howard's illustrious career Mm -hmm. and he has had an amazing career as both an actor as a director eat my dust working for Mm -hmm. roger corman splash apollo 13 i mean you look at this guy's library of work i'm a huge fan okay and he, when you look at his movies, mm-hmm. the one thing that he's never really done is a sequel. Right. You know, um, there's never been a sequel to Splash. There was never, Night, Night, Night Shift, I believe, was him too. Um, yeah. You just, and he says the only reason why he's done these, like, three of these stories is because he doesn't believe they are sequels. Right. He believes they are episodic. Each one is their own story. Right. And it's not a follow-up to, it's not a follow-up to um, the, the previous the one before. One. And if you think about it, he did Da Vinci Code first. Yeah. Angels and Demons was second. Order-wise in the books, it was Angels and Demons first, Da Vinci Code, and Lost Symbol in this book. So it's interesting that you pointed that out and thought about it because that's whole Ron Howard's whole thought of, I'm really not making a sequel. And I understand that. It's like, uh, in a sense, they're very episodic, almost like James Bond. Yeah. You know, and they, they, in this movie, I felt they wanted to go that sort of that, like, you know, extravagant locations, you know. But you're right. I felt that the puzzle solving, which is to me the most fun part of this, like learning the history yeah. of Da Vinci or Angels and Demons, which had this Star Trek-ish anti-matter <laughs> kind of thing that right. we have to find. But there's puzzle solving. This one didn't. There was no real puzzle happen. solving. I know that's that's what I think I was most disappointed about in the film is that when they first introduced Inferno and talking about Dante's Inferno and all of the levels of hell and. I thought that we were going to really dive into that. I thought we were going to maybe dissect every layer and, and kind of go into detail. And I didn't feel like there was that at, you know, that wasn't there at all, I felt like. Yeah. You know, they briefly touched on it, but I, I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't that pu- puzzle solving because that's what I enjoyed of the other two films is like, yeah. you know, the four elements and trying to figure that out and, right. and everything. And so I felt like this movie was really lacking that. And I think one of the big reasons was because they tried to introduce this whole, like, new world technology and new world kind of feel to the film and i just feel like it kind of fell short a little bit yeah i don't i don't disagree um but why don't we let's get into this a little bit because regardless of of my you know regardless of how much i really dislike this movie you know we're not here just to 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 bitch and moan and you did like it a little bit more than (laughs) me as well which is fantastic um but for you the audience too if for whoever is online watching us um you know, I always think that the movie going experience is one that's that's better even shared. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's even made better when you can discuss amongst the group. And yes. they always say misery enjoys company. And when you're <laughs> talking about bad movies, it's like, tell me, like, why? Sometimes I come out of a movie and I'll say, am I the only person who <laughs> liked this movie? Or am I the only person who hated this movie? Um and I always like to find, like, oh, somebody else felt the same way I did. Yeah, exactly. Like, you, you feel a connection. And that's what I think movies are one of the things that makes them so great. Yeah. So if you are watching us live, commiserate, celebrate together with us. <laughs> uh, chime in. Let us know what you thought. Um, but why don't we start off a little bit about 
Inferno, Dante's Inferno. This is where Dan Brown's uh, inspiration came from. And Dante is a great Italian poet of the 14th century, and he came up with this poem uh, that sought to describe the journey of the soul toward God, with the the first step being uh, the rejection of sin. Uh, Dante himself is led through nine circles of hell, uh, where he sees unrepentant sinners punished by poetic justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortune tellers have their heads on backwards. We we see this in the movie, too. Uh, unable to see what lies ahead. Corrupt politicians with sticky fingers. It happens to be an election year this year, too. Uh, submerged in boiling tar. I wish we had some boiling tar with us today. Uh, the great punishments are reserved for Dante's greatest villains, all traitors in Satan's three miles to be chewed throughout eternity as Cassius and Brutus who murdered Julius Caesar and Judas Iscariot. It's pretty heavy stuff for yes. a journey of the soul to God. And where was that in the film? I don't know. See, I, I, honestly, I, know. I honestly don't know. Just when you mentioned that fortune tellers, their heads on backwards, we saw that so many times in the beginning of the film, but I would not have known what that represented if I had not gone and looked for myself and researched Dante's Inferno. So Yeah. You know? it's And again, these are the kind of puzzles that... Uh, you know, had it been a little bit more brought to light, like what does this mm-hmm. mean? Is there fortune mm-hmm. tellings going off? And uh, exactly, you know. So, and then again, you know, I, I asked at the top of the show why why did they choose this book? And there was a simple, you know, reason. Um, they weren't necessarily going to revisit the, these Robert Robert Langdon, this Dan Brown series. Lost Symbol had come out for one reason or another. They couldn't. They were like Ron Howard couldn't commit, Tom Hanks couldn't commit, and by the time everybody got together, uh, this book uh, Inferno was coming out, and Sony bought the rights to that book and said, "Hey, this is the one we'll make." Yeah. So you know, it was just for that. It gestated so long before, right? You know, before the last. You know, it it took a while, but this was the one that they chose to make, and you know. Hanks goes on to say that he believes the enduring attraction of the franchise. He goes, there's something Dan Brown has figured out. Everybody likes a good puzzle. And this is coming from Tom Hanks himself, especially one you can actually figure out the clues at one time or another to solve. These movies give that to the audience. I didn't think this one did, Tom. <laughs> I, I, uh, I mean, you. you know, and I, I he's a full bona fide star. Yeah. So um, you're... Like, did you find anything regarding the production about this all coming together? Um, you know, regarding like, you know, Ron Howard, obviously, we said not a sequel guy, but he enjoys the series and he comes back to it because mm-hmm. he doesn't feel that they're sequels. And that to me was very probably the most. Uh, interesting part of it. Yeah, well, and and I know he did say, he's quoted as saying he he does not like sequels at all, like does not want to be involved with them at all, which is so funny that he's kind of wrapped up in this this franchise. But I did hear that um, during location... Product, that's production code name. This movie's production code name was Headache. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think some people, you know, it has different meanings maybe right. for some people. But, um, you know, and, and it was the shortest film in the trilogy, I yeah. heard as well, which is, you know, probably good for you that it wasn't, <laughs> you it know. It felt like forever. Dragged, yes, yes, it did, felt, it, it did feel pretty long. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I was... A, Dan Brown was an executive producer of this yeah. film as well, so I wonder how much he had his hands involved in this, especially since the whole ending was changed. That yeah. that kind of shocked me to see that he was one of the executive producers on the film. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I... That means he gets a big check, too. Yeah, yeah. You know. is, it, is it for him to stay quiet, though, and not... I? So I, I really wish I could find out if he had... If he gave his okay on, on, the, on the changing. You know, it's it's... I couldn't find anything about that. And usually, um, y- usually when an author, like, you, you you know, you read about it from the woman who wrote The Hunger Games mm-hmm. uh, and such, that they're good with, like, if the, if it's an adaptation and they bring the author on board. Like, there was, I, I should preface, there was a time where the author really didn't, it didn't matter. They just, Hollywood would buy the book, the studio would buy the book, they'd make the Do movie. Whatever. They never even would yeah. bother like with the author, the author got paid, you know, um, and that's it. But more and more writers are becoming 
more relevant and relevant on set right. and, and, and giving notes and, and doing whatever. This one, I could not find a word where Dan Brown said, oh, yeah, no, it was all good with the changes. Because yeah. it seems to be a common thing these days when there's an adaptation. You know, said author says, no, I was, I was on board with what they did. And not in this case. No. So uh, let's talk about that uh, for, a, for a second um, before we go back into casting. The the ending was different. So right. I, in the book, in, in yeah, in in the book, what what I've heard from reviews is that the plague that has been you know designed by Zobrist is actually released into the air, and half or more than half of the population is affected by it, and uh, it doesn't kill people, but it makes them infertile. So they still are able to deal with this notion of overpopulation in the world without actually killing people. So the way that I saw that people who read the book kind of perceived it as it was almost like a humane thing to okay. do. You know, yeah, when I'm reading all the reviews, I'm like, wait, what? That doesn't seem like it's, you know, right on any level. But people... Seems to take away a little bit of choice. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> But people who who read the books were kind of saying that the whole message that Dan Brown had written into this book was lost with the film and that Mm. they still, you know, didn't do anything to deal with the overpopulation that was happening. So um, apparently in the film, uh, Sienna still is against Robert Langdon. She still is trying to, uh, you know, work against him at the end and there's all that's the same. But in the end, the plague does get released. Right. So that's a huge change, huge change from from the ending of the book. So. Yeah, I would say that 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 is a change. Um, it, but this in, in the movie, they this movie makes it a grand point to say that this is going to wipe out what ninety percent of the population. Right. We basically, we're starting from scratch. Now, here's my problem: like, this is a trope done and done and done. Whether it's from James Bond, mm-hmm. uh, Hugo Drax, that's what he wants to do, or for for you know, um, Spy Who Loved Me, uh, you know, the villain in that movie wanted to, you know, he wanted to wipe out the population and bring everybody under. It's it's a James Bond story. Like yeah. I'm gonna wipe out the the, the population, uh, and then we're gonna restart, yeah, and I'm gonna over. be ruler, and and you know, we, we need to reconnect. So I was having some issues with with this um you know with that issue uh to me it wasn't this wasn't a a commentary movie mm-hmm. it was basically it, it was it was like here are the bad guys yeah. or this is the the main bad guy he said a you know uh, this disease is going to get out you know and we have to stop you know mm-hmm. overpop like that guy said a hundred years though the earth is going to be overpopulation. We have a hundred years to try to figure that yeah. problem out. I was thinking, so yeah. he shouldn't take that away now. And I thought we got a hundred years. I thought the same thing. They said something along the lines of like, well, do you want to sacrifice people now so you can save people in the future? You know, and it's like, right. well, it's a yeah, a hundred years. Maybe you could figure something else yeah, out. Like, out. Why, <laughs> why release the plague now and just you know say, oh, let's take care of it now? Like you got a, you got a long time to deal with this. But, it was a little extreme. Yeah. Like if he said, you know, within the next ten five years, something I don't know, yeah. but it was hard. Again, he he's you know this guy is 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 like a cheap. A James Bond villain, as yeah. portrayed by Ben Foster in the movie, um, you know, and, and you mentioned Sienna, uh, played by Felicity Jones, who's uh, who's getting some good work this year. Yeah, um, you know, she. It's 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 funny because for inspiration in playing this character, uh, and this again, I found like you rarely hear this. I read the book. Most people, yeah, she read the book. Yeah, she went to the book and read the book to see what the character's like. Mostly an actor will say, oh, well, I I went to see what a doctor would be like and how my thoughts about (laughs) overpopulation would be. So I talked to political people and, and no, she read the book. (laughs) You know, and she said throughout filming, I would keep coming back to the book for Sienna and find little clues about her backstory that I could use Hmm. uh, playing her. The book was really good resource uh, throughout filming, which I found to be um, 
fascinating. Yeah. Like a fascinating insight. Cause, I, I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, sometimes they just don't read the book at all. Yeah. I did so. like her for this film, though, Felicity Jones. I'm a, I'm a fan of hers anyway, <laughs> so I was excited to see her in this film, and I thought she did a really great job. Um, you know, I think she's an actress who, as any really talented actor could do, is really portray things just through looks and without sure. even saying stuff. So mm-hmm. even in the, the moment when... She, when we find out that she's going against Robert Langdon, you know, it's like you saw that coming from a mile away. Yeah, I, I saw it coming from a mile away because I didn't buy her as an ER doctor. I would have bought her as an ER nurse, but I didn't buy her as a doctor. And I think they had one throwaway line. That sort of explained why I might buy that. It was something to the effect of uh, she's a prodigy. Mm. She's wicked smart. Was yeah. basically it. And so yeah. she, you know, so I was like, oh, okay. So she's like Doogie Hauser to to an extent. But I wasn't buying her. Like as soon as she said she was an ER doctor, instead of like if she said she was an ER nurse, I would have been okay. Yeah. I would have been, uh, you know, I, all right. I bought her as a doctor, but I didn't. As soon as the opening of the movie happened with the locks on the hospital doors and the fact that nobody else is in the hospital other than these two do- these two doctors that's when i kind of was like okay this seems a little sketchy like what's going on you know right. but before they introduced that when it was just her telling him you were in it whatever her explanation was you you know you had a bullet ro- wound and i i bought that until i saw the locks on the doors and all that and then i'm like okay this is getting a little weird what's happening here so <laughs> i was buying the bullet wound to an extent until well, who shot him? Mm-hmm. And why? Like, I couldn't figure out, like, they made such an elaborate setup yeah. to to indoctrinate him into their cause that I was like, that, that, that I'm sorry, that's just too much work. Yeah. You're setting up a fake hospital. You're setting up a fake scenario where an assassin is coming to kill you. You even set up that the assassin shoots a doctor in the hospital. Yeah. That's all fake. And the... I was like, no, that's just too much work. Well, it's, and, and that an like, organization exists that does that. Like, that you can hire somebody right. to plan these things for you. That, yes. it was, yeah. Yeah, was and then elaborate. they sort of kind of double-cross link. Then it's like, no, we're not here to kill you. Oh, take them off the board. And yeah, we were going to kill you, but now we're not anymore. Yeah, I was, yeah. what, and, uh, yeah. I, I was totally, thoroughly like, what the hell? Like, yeah. what? okay, it's just too well, much work. And even before, what you know, before we get too far past this this point to where I can't go back, one thing in the movie that made me go, wait, this doesn't make sense. When she, when he said, when he's in the hospital, Langdon, and he says to Sienna, how do you, how do you know my name? And she says, well, I met you once when I was nine. And I'm like, 20 years later, you wouldn't remember somebody that you met when you were nine. Like, I don't remember who anybody I met when I was nine, let alone 20 years later, you know? So that was one of the sure. things that kind of made me go like, wait, this seems odd. But yeah, so there were there were a few points in that hospital scene that were a little off. Yeah, it was just, um, I don't know, it was interesting. I, 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 and then there was the, um, the whole... There was a scheme to, to, to steal... Dante's death mask. Yes. So it's in a museum. <laughs> and Langdon, along with uh, Anastasio, what was that gentleman? Ignacio. Ignacio, <laughs> this big lug of a guy. Uh, they st- they just walk up to the case in a museum, walk up to the case, up, slide up the back part of the case, take the mask, and pretty much leave. Yeah. Like, there were no alarms. It was like nothing. Yeah. That's like... You know, I've seen a Pink Panther movie, and like the the the, the Pink Panther diamond is encased <laughs> in like you know laser <laughs> security. I'm like, they just there was no alarm set off. Or, like, if this is such yeah. a precious piece artifact, like you can't get the Mona Lisa. You can't yeah. even in National Treasure when they're stealing the Declaration of Independence. Like, <laughs> there are things to get through and. And then there was this guy Ignacio, and then what the hell what happened, happened to him? What, where <laughs> Ignacio? Where Igna- are you, Ignacio? Yeah, <laughs> and, and in a flashback, he gets bit by a snake, and I'm like, what the hell happened to him? Yeah, it was just like the most bizarre thing um, going on, and it was just again, there were just things like going, what? There's no alarm in the museum, yeah. and then he happens to know somebody, and he doesn't remember, and and he's not arrested on. Sp- 
Yeah. Okay, let's talk about locations because okay. these were, to me, perhaps the most fascinating yes. part of this movie. As they've been in the past movies. Yeah. Um, although in this movie, I do believe that the locations are just used as locations. I didn't learn. Again, the other fun about the books and the movies is that, you know, you're you're learning about the Vatican. Yeah. You know, you're learning about these various things or you're learning about the Louvre is something like as even as a, as a book reader, as an audience member, you come away. Oh yeah. That's sort of cool. I never knew that, you know, and, and it's above and beyond just taking the tour like Dan Brown would thoroughly research his stuff, you know? So, uh, the filming kicked off in the spectacular St. Mark's square in Venice. Um, and as Langdon and Sienna are following clues to, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it. Doge's Palace or Dog? It's D O G E apostrophe S. I'm gonna say Doge's. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm somebody correct me, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, so Saint Mark's Square or the Piazza San Marco is symbolic of the heart of Venice. Mm-hmm. Um, this plaza has been used in a ton of movies. Um, we see again. I throw back to James Bond yeah. and such. Um, the Grand St. Mark Church at one end, uh, Campanile Bell Tower rising in the middle. Uh, you know, it's... And, it, you, you know, you get the sense of Venice. I per, I personally, there was an overhead shot of Venice that was like, oh, that's sort of cool. Because yeah. we always see Venice from the ground with its canals. Right. But you never see it. That shot was cool. Yeah. I, I will give it that. Yeah, I did like that when I was, when you know, looking at cinematography and just kind of the direction of you know, the landscape. I thought they did a pretty good job at some points throughout the film sure. with, with showing the vastness of the cities and showing different locations, you know, in the garden scenes and the, right. you know, and then when they're in the city. So I did like that. Yeah. Um, I thought that was nice to see. Yeah. And then uh, Florence was also used. Uh, so chase sequence through Florence. This movie is an, is, is a long chase sequence. Right. You know, uh, so it's they're being chased pretty um, much the whole the, the whole entire movie. film yeah, yeah the entire film it's <laughs> it's either people chasing landing or landing chasing other people yeah there's always a, a chase but uh you know going through uh uh, uh florence uh the grain gardens of the palazzo pizzi now i've never been to italy neither um i'd love to Me too. if anything for the food um <laughs> you know and um so you know, the Palazzo, a huge palace back in the 15th century. And, and see, and these are the things, too, that it would have been nice had something happened inside these palaces that would have led them. Oh, here's a clue. Did you know that the, yeah. the Palazzo PD had this going on for it? Or, you yeah. know, it, it, it would have been nice had in this movie the locations led to... Dante's something, yeah. something. The, I feel like the only thing I learned about these places is that, is that there's a lot of secret passageways. Right, <laughs> was pretty a much lot the of secret only ca- thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, they go through places like the Plaza Vecchio and the Inferno production filmed for four days at the Plaza Vecchio, Vecchio to capture scenes of Langdon tracing his steps through the events that lead to his situation. You know, so mm-hmm. they had a great listen. You know. Why do you do this movie? Hey, we're going back to Italy. Okay, that's fine. Damn. Yeah, yeah, we're going to film in Budapest. Dude, never been there before. All right, let's... Yeah, it'll be a great trip. So, you know, it's... it's. I get it. You know, you're filming. It is a free trip to Italy. Uh, they, they'd been there before for one of the previous movies. Um, it just... I don't know. I wish that this. I wished in this movie that the locations were were better suited because mm-hmm. before that the locations were were, were were part of the plot. Yeah. To, to move forward. Now I did find that um, they did go to Budapest too, and this I found interesting. Actually, a majority of the film was shot in Budapest. It even doubled for other cities. So several scenes in Budapest. Uh, much of the stage work was done there. Uh, out on location, the city's European film was able to double for the location and much of the rest of the film. So yeah. I found that very interesting. Yeah. Tax break is probably cheaper. Yeah. You know, and um, let's talk about a little bit. I'm going to go back to uh, I'm going to go back to uh, Budapest in a second, but we'll, we'll, I want to talk about cheaper. Um, this this movie was filmed on a considerably much lower budget mm-hmm. than the previous two. 
Uh, I believe that Da Vinci Code was was done for 125 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angels and Demons was done for 150. Uh, this movie was done for 75 million dollars. Yeah. So. I, yeah. I saw I saw that note too, and it, and that kind of shocked me. Um, you know, you think as you kind of move forward and special effects grow and things get kind of crazier that usually your budget kind of goes up as well. So it was interesting to see that this one was was a little bit lower, but maybe that's part of the reason is location and certain things that they did on on that end of it. Yeah, well, it, it, I found it very interesting. And again, you know, movie magic. Mm-hmm. So again, regardless of whether I like a movie or not, yeah. there, there could be some part of movie magic that I always like to talk about. So the 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 stealing of the death mask uh, going to the location of the death mask was actually filmed in Budapest. Mm-hmm. That doubled as uh, as the Plaza Vecchio. Um, so uh, I always find that very interesting. Uh, there was a museum of ethnography in Budapest. Hmm. is one of Europe's most most uh, Europe's largest, most important museum. Um, so they filmed there a lot. Scenes with Langdon and Siena being chased through St. Mark's Basilica Subterranean Chapel in Venice were filmed in a basement <laughs> in Budapest, uh, at Caselli <laughs> Museum in Budapest. So, you know, they did a lot, and I, I think that probably had a lot to do with, with, with the budget. Yes. So, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about how budget uh, can, um, we'll, we'll talk about how it, could affect or not affect the growth uh, in a little bit, but I, you know, I just found all this stuff about um, uh, 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 about location filming and movie magic and and the mm. the magic of movies of the like you know we don't know you know yeah. stage where whatever it is um, the terrifying and grotesque scenes that play through Langdon's visions yeah. they were shot in a picturesque street in the side of Hungarian State Opera House right you know which is crazy and also one note that I found on that is that they actually used 9,000 liters of fake blood. I, uh, yes. And that shocked me. <laughs> I thought for sure that scene, you know, had to be, like you said, movie magic, some sort right. of like CGI stuff going on. But the fact that they actually used that much, 9,000 yeah. liters of fake blood made with sugar. Yeah. Yeah, I found that, <laughs> again, I was thinking about that going, it was probably cheaper yeah. other than having to That's true. digitally Do all special effect yeah. Blood flowing down, you know, steps in yeah. like a mass tsunami-ish right. kind of wave. So I thought about that as uh, as well. Um, you know, whether or not is you know whether or not uh, 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 for, just for budgetary reasons, maybe it just came out cheaper. Now here's something great. Did you know that the Hungarian National Museum doubled as Harvard University? Oh yeah. wow! I didn't. You know, coming from Boston, <laughs> not I didn't go to Harvard though. <laughs> That's the thing. I went across the I went across the Charles the BU. Sorry. I didn't go to Harvard, but uh, yeah, yeah. So Budapest wow. doubled for Boston. Yeah, that makes no sense that's to me. That's odd. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, I find that that's again. I just think that that's it's just a way to utilize all you have to do in a movie. And I just find this funny is just put up a title card. Yeah. You just put up a title card and say, hey, this is upstate New York. We're really, you're in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's like, you tell us where we're Wait, at. Yeah. I'm going to believe it unless, of course, you have something that's in there that says there is no way in hell. Like the Golden Gate Bridge is not in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so like, yeah, I just love that that movies can. Yeah. That's what movies do. Right. right. Um, that's the beauty of them. So then they even went to Istanbul. Um, for for a weekend to shoot scenes of Langdon, uh, Sinski and Sims' arrival at the breathtaking Hagia Sophia. Mm-hmm. Um, so they went to Istanbul, which is so they went all over. Oh. It's almost a James Bondish kind of trek through various like, nice places. It kind of felt like that at, at some points, like a James Bond slash like uh, born <laughs> situation where you can't remember what's happening and. So, yeah, there were definitely little points of that throughout the film, I thought. Yeah. So um, did you have anything else to add regarding production-wise, like uh, that that you had learned or about production design, which I'm about to uh, go into? No, let's get into production design. Yeah, production design. So many of the scenes set in Venice, Florence, Istanbul were shot in those cities. Some scenes were shot in Budapest, like we said, doubling Mm -hmm. for those cities. Very often a single location within the film would actually be shot over different locations in different cities. And it was it was Peter Wenham, who was the production designer, to make the transitions seamless. Now, again, 
I didn't know that I was from a lot of it in Budapest. Yeah. You know, I find that uh, when you're, again, it's a job of your team. You know, movies, we always say here, collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. And it's the job of your team. It's like, well, you got to make this look like Italy. Yeah. You have to, you know. Um, so there are obvious examples of his handiwork and things that we don't think of as an audience member, but if you're into production design, you know, like transforming the signet and the license plates on cars from Hungarian to Italian. Um, Less obvious examples, the street lighting was very important. In Florence, catch this, the lamps have extended iron arms that extend from the walls and little lancets that are dominant. We fit shutters to the exteriors of buildings. Anyone who's been to Florence has seen that. It was very important to give that illusion. Wow. I found that stuff, you know, that's how extra you would have to go for detail to... You know, to make Budapest look like Florence. Yeah, and I guess if you're going to save money, you know, in the long run, if if that's what it takes sure. to, to film there instead of going to Florence, which yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And then you know, another illusion Wyndham uh, is is credited for um, turning that that ethnographical museum into the Italian space that houses Dante's death mask. He said, although filming in real space was impossible, Wyndham notes that an imagined space suited the story better than any way. In the real place, the actual mask is in a wooden cabinet with a bit of red silk behind it. Wow. You know, yeah. and, and I'm willing to bet alarms. Alarms, yeah. alarms. I'm For to sure. Bet that For there's sure. Alarm. There are alarms. If there are not, you need to get alarms. Yeah, because I you think can there see are what alarms. happens. Yeah. <laughs> I'm willing to bet that there are alarms. Um, so you know, it, and he goes on to say there's a lot of variety of architecture in, in filming at Budapest. Yeah. Um, one thing there, but if there's one thing it isn't, it's Italian. <laughs> so, you know, so this guy had his hands full. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had his work cut out for him. Right. Yeah. Doing it sounds it's like, like it. Hey, we get details. Yeah. I mean, but it, 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 that to me, again, whether I like, dislike a movie, yeah. like those are the things to me, like, well, these people worked hard to do that. Yeah. I can appreciate it because it was seamless to me. Oh, yeah. I and would not, not have known. that's not one thing I'd pick on. Yeah. Oh, gosh, no. I would not have known at any point that it <clears> wasn't filmed in the locations where it says it, you know, that it would, it took place in. Yeah. He's, they, they went extremely incredible lengths for foaming. A cladding and latexing existing marble. Uh, we painted over that and removed it after. It was like putting on a new skin. So, oh, my um, goodness. you know, those people who are Budapest, you got to see this. Yeah. That would have been fun. Absolutely. To see. You know, yeah. I love when they make a transformation. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think uh, obviously they got a good tax break in Budapest, mm-hmm. which could lead to the lower budget. Mm-hmm. They still got to go have some good Italian food in yeah. and, and, and Italy. You know, and I'm sure there's great food in Budapest, too. Yeah. You know, what do you know? Probably. Um, some other locations, uh, the subterranean cistern, uh, to suit the story, the water is set. All right, so that subterranean thing. Yeah. Okay, this comes at, towards the end of the movie. Right. And this is where I was like going, okay, so f- my favorite sequence of the movie so far, like, I really liked that. Yeah. Like, that was sort of cool. They had that orchestra there. Yeah. The, the 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 light coming out from under the water, right. like I bought, like it exists, uh, but it seemed like a cool place to go. Oh, visit, for right? sure, yeah. I I when I first saw the you know all the people there and what are they what are they doing there? I wish they kind of went into just for selfish reasons went into a little right. bit more detail about what concert was happening and how you know who was playing there and that kind of stuff because I really did like that as well. I liked how they kind of made it look very almost like eerie and like like there was blood in the water yes. almost just like in the very beginning of the film we right. saw like the blood water so i right. like how they kind of tied that back together yeah. i do have to say with that sequence the very end of that whole sequence with the the box and the the plague i didn't buy that there were only three people there left fighting for this box with all of the police we saw coming out, all of the people in the hazmat suits, that I did not buy. Yeah. That So that scene, I had a little bit of issues with that. It started <laughs> off, I was like going thus far, Ryan yeah. Howard's most visual, like I was into it. And then it just went on. And it was just pure, it just turned into pure silliness. Yeah. Like, just, it's like, oh, good God, this is going on forever. Yeah. It doesn't need to be. I, I don't, like, what do you, I, it like, had oh. me kind of like I thought it was a nail biter there for a second, just because you know the the bad guy was kind of 
unlocking and he almost got it all the way over and I'm sure people who read the books and saw the film thought okay this is how it happens he's gonna undo the box it's going to be released you know so it was a bit of a nail biter but the whole time I'm like out of all those police we saw, like, why is it only you three here yeah. fighting for this? I, I think the water may have been too cold. Yeah, may, probably. To Nobody wanted in. to jump I, I don't in. know. But it looked beautiful, it just, so. It, it did, I mean, <laughs> that whole area. Yeah. You know, and that's why I felt, oh, okay, this is at least visually yeah. interesting. And we have this orchestra, and, you yeah. know, this is going on. And then in the background, we've got, hey, you know, you got to stop it. Oh, I couldn't figure out. This is the other thing, too. So Sienna sets off the bomb. Yeah. I would have figured she would have been blown to pieces. But apparently not. Oh, well, whatever. (laughs) Um, So, um, you know, there are some other fun facts that I found out. Uh, How about yourself? Was there anything else that you found that was interesting, whether it be about production or cinematography or editing? Um, let's see if I have anything in here. I know one of the main points that I just thought was so interesting was just the leaders of blood. Yeah. Or, sorry, fake blood that were used. That one was a, was a huge point to me that I, I did not expect. Well, then you may find this uh, interesting. So Zobarist's Deadly Virus, the Inferno. Yes. Okay, catch, catch the recipe for, this is a recipe for a virus, folks. Okay. It's 40% water, 30% vegetable oil. And 30% tomato ketchup, which is 60 and 40. It's 100% right there. Wow. So, yeah, That's tomato you ketchup. Make, you can make a virus with You can make it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you budding filmmakers. If put you it need, in a bag. Yeah, put it in a tube. It's like, yeah. I got a virus right yeah. there. So, <laughs> that makes sense though, now that I think about it. I, yeah. can, I can visualize it now. Yeah. So, um, now Ron Howard enlisted the help of a philosopher and futurist. Jason Silva mm-hmm. to help build a harrowing YouTube video Zobris producers to support his idea that overpopulation will lead to the human extinction. So for you people who uh, are, are familiar with uh, Jason Silva's work, <laughs> Ron Howard went to him personally. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, I want to go back to Ron Howard uh, again. I, for lack of better words, grew up with this with this guy Mm -hmm. from you know seeing reruns of the andy griffith show to happy days um you know and then watching him like it was a big deal like when 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 splash came out like i was like this is the guy like it was a big deal and i was i was privileged to uh to be working at universal when he had movies like Apollo 13 which is great and and the paper you know and this guy has done comedy he did Parenthood's great movie. Gung Ho, I think, is a very <laughs> underrated comedy from Ron Howard. You know, and then he does Fanny, he does Willow. You yeah. know, this guy's career has just been amazing, and he's done it from drama to comedy to, yeah. to fantasy world. You know, even, um, you know, but, but recently, like, the, the last really good movie I enjoyed watching that, that again, a very underrated movie is a movie called Rush. Uh, that he did was about Formula One. It's just a fantastic, what a great character piece and drama, all of the thrill of car racing. You know, Heart of the Sea, uh, Phil and I, uh, uh, we talked about that movie. I believe Marissa was on that panel. We enjoyed the movie to an extent, um, but his visual style was, was really good. And, you know, it was, again, another adaptation of a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Changes were made. You know, you gotta buy that. You have yeah. to. You have to go into a movie that's adapted from a book. For sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, to to your point, I I feel like with this film, this franchise, but especially this film, like you said earlier, I just feel like Hollywood kind of got their grips on it a little too tight. You know, where it just felt like there were. It, a lot of changes were made and a lot of things kind of happened where it was like, okay, this is geared towards towards Hollywood. This is geared towards people that are going to ha- like these crazy things happening. And it takes, it takes away the message of the book, takes away the authenticity of the book. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I, that's unfortunate because I'm a huge Ron Howard fan as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so, yeah, this one did kind of feel a little short. This one felt very short to me, and, and, and especially since he just recently, too, had, had – to a degree, good success with um, the Beatles documentary that he also worked mm-hmm. with Tom Hanks. And plus, when he works with Tom Hanks, when you get these two people together, you 
go in expecting a higher caliber of movie. Yeah. You know? Well, and I have, I have to admit that when I first heard Inferno, I did not know that it, because like, like I said, I have not read any of the books, so I did not know that it was an extension of the Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons and all this. So I, I just saw Tom Hanks, Inferno, Ron Howard, done. I'm going to see it. Done. I don't even care what mm-hmm. it's about. It's going to be great. And then, you know, later learning, oh, okay, this is actually, you know, part of this franchise. And, yeah, so you think going into this that this is going to be, like, an exceptional movie. You, you hope with, with, with the pedigree of talent that's yeah. involved. And, again, I, I go back, you know, I talked about adults. Like, people complain there's not enough out there for adults. And, yeah, I mean, you, you would expect that a movie where the actors, they didn't really pander they don't pander to a younger audience. I mean, Tom Hanks is a star. Um, you know, his love interest is, you know, um, uh, now Felicity Jones, mm-hmm. she's probably the youngest yeah. in this entire cast, okay? Right. So you had the elements here that really could, I just say, use the title, just completely go off the page and get, you know, David kept too. He is another. He's a guy that has a career. He's written for Spielberg. He's written. David Kep is a good writer. He's he's directed as well. Mm-hmm. I just don't. They missed the boat on this, and they could have they could have turned they could have turned you know a bad book into at least a good movie. Yeah, and and at least something for the adults for anybody like this. This could have been a great date movie. Yeah. You know, and, and suspense and action, I think, can hit all quadrants right. of people, not just adults. It's a it's PG-13 movie. So, I don't know. I, I just felt that they, they, they sadly missed the boat. But yeah. um, did you know that um, the prop department, speaking of Dante's Mask, they made 15 of those things. No way. 15. And they still didn't have an alarm. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they had 15 of uh, ensuring they would never be caught without one. So um, I found that 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 interest. I found that yeah. That that shocks me because I, I I don't see how why they would need fifteen of them. It's not like it gets broken or shattered or something where they're going to need to replace you it. Never they know. need to reshoot. It, it's you know they always have doubles yeah. for almost everything, particularly yeah. costumes and sometimes uh, depending on the budget. Yeah. You know, props that are being used in case somebody drops something. So I just found it uh, interesting. Um, okay, so the, the, the scene where that, that assassin woman, uh, Vientha. Yes. yes. Okay, so there's a scene up the, uh-huh. in the, in the, the rafters uh-huh. um, in the hall of 500 in order to protect the agent flooring. The special effects department manufactured a fake pool of blood made out of red silicone. Wow. So when she falls down. Yeah, that, that that that's interesting. And can I just say on that scene, as a female who wears heels, no way are you running on beams in wedge shoes. Yeah, okay. I was... <laughs> if I'm running on beams, I'm taking my shoes off, and I'm gonna I'm gonna run barefoot because that that kind of when I saw her running, I'm like, what do you take your shoes off? Well, you're not gonna make it. Yeah, that's the Jurassic World <laughs> complex. Yes, exactly. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So for you, for you fashionistas out there, yeah. for you fashionistas, I'm just out like there. it's not practical. Okay. <laughs> well, now that you're speaking fashion, uh, for, for people who who care about this. Uh, Langdon and Sienna were dressed in Ferragamo. Oh, yeah, that didn't help the budget. <laughs> but but filming, yeah. they probably got it. For yeah, free. that's that's why they they went to Budapest instead. They're like, uh. now uh, here whilst filming in Florence, the production made a donation to the Palazzo Vecchio for the restoration of the home of Dante's Mask. Wow, which is you know Hollywood can do good. Yes, um, and uh, whilst in Florence, Ron Howard. Again, we just talked about how great he is. He was honored by the mayor and presented with keys to the city. Um, In ancient times, when it was common for European towns to be ringed by walls, visiting dignitaries were presented with a key to the city gate as a gesture of trust and kindness. Today's uh, gesture is presenting the keys in similar sentiment. So Ron Howard got the keys to the city uh, in in Florence. I think that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, good for him. How fun is that? Yeah, gosh. Thank you for coming. What an honor. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for coming to Florence. And, you know... 
it, uh, he deserves it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the drone scene chasing landing in Siena through Bobolee Gardens. The camera team had to deploy two drones, one to follow the actors, the other <laughs> to film the action. Oh. So, so, yeah, we had two things going on. Yeah. There. I felt like with that, it, it kind of felt like they were merging old world and new world yeah. to an extent that we hadn't seen in the past two films. And I know this isn't. A, definitely a sequel and there, there are differences and stuff but I just felt like in this film with the use of drones and there was also a mention in there when uh, Langdon said I need to get a book I need to get to a library and get a book and Sienna said I just use Google for that right. you know I felt like they were trying to kind of push this like new world idea with overpopulation and new world technology and it felt like that's where there was kind of like this disconnect that happened for me at least yeah drones have been flying into movies for the past mm. year and a half pun intended um they seem to be the new way to to, to film yeah. certain action sequences or or to be chased by right um yeah so you know i find that that was uh you know i just found it very interesting but of course i felt that let's go back to ron howard for a minute i felt that ron howard's style in this too and here's where i was a little bit disappointed it was a mishmash he was trying to be old school yet at the same time he yeah. seemed to be using like gopro like putting it like there seemed to be a variety of of styles he was trying to use that sort of it sort of jarred me. It sort of kind of took me out of the movie every now and then. Yeah. Uh, while watching this, I don't know if you felt the yeah, same way. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, and I feel like it would have been uh, received better if maybe it was either going towards like the old school what we're used to seeing in this franchise that kind of filming or completely changing over to like this new school you know technology and new school you know filming techniques you know I felt like it like you said was a mix and there was a lot of I think confusion not only in storyline but in just the way it was filmed as well yeah which would make it hard I think for your editor yeah. to put this um, together I wanted to talk uh, we can talk a little bit more about casting because there were some familiar faces mm-hmm. um i felt that were that that was interesting i mentioned jurassic world uh earlier so ephraim ephraim khan who played well he played harry um he was harry sins uh or what was his other not provost yeah, what, uh-huh. provost? provost yeah. yeah which in the in the i guess in the book he was just known that's what they just provost. said his name yeah. was yeah or so and he to. and he wasn't killed off like the way you know i don't yeah you know i like that actor guy yes. um i enjoy watching him now ben foster too you know another very mm-hmm. talented a very uh, you know another very talented actor um you know he gets killed off within what the first 10 minutes but his mm-hmm. presence is seen throughout mm-hmm. via flashback yeah. which i found very uh interesting i liked that yeah mm-hmm. now th- this other gentleman this th- this omar sai Oh, yes. Now, I found him very fascinating. Uh, he played Christophe Bouchard, which I guess his, his name is a little bit different in the book as well. Um, he, he's, uh, he comes with a comedy background. And, and he was like, he was asked, this, there's no comedy in your role at all. He goes, yeah, it was really hard. He goes, the way I played it is, I just suppressed my smile. <laughs> he goes, because I smile a lot when I work. Yeah. And there was a lot for me to smile. I'm like, look, look what I'm working yeah. with. And he's like, yeah, to play a tough man, I just... I just didn't smile, <laughs> and I find that I, I find that funny, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and it's and it's good for him. I mean, I more or less enjoyed the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it it just got so. I, I I'm trying to find out who played Ignacio, that poor guy. Because he was obviously brought into the movie, Ignacio, Ignacio, and we see him in the movie. In fact, he's the guy that takes... Again, it was so funny. Death Mask, he just hides it in his coat and they walk out of the museum. Yeah. And then we never see the guy. We never find what? out what happens to him. Yeah, where are you, Ignacio? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, what happened, Ignacio? Ignacio uh, is played by Gabor Umay. Hmm. So, go ahead. Go figure. Uh, one other thing that we always... Um, talk about too is uh score and i'm a big soundtrack uh-huh. i love me soundtracks too. me too this one was done by hans zimmer who's mm-hmm. worked with ron howard mm-hmm. uh throughout his career right and you know i used to be a hans zimmer fan i just hans zimmer i just 
he's become a caricature of himself. Like, I think he feels he's... The music in this movie, too, I found it distracting. Because he's going this way, like, the other movies were purely orchestral and score. And since movies like Batman versus Superman, and he's worked with this guy, Junkie, please forgive me, I don't... You know, and, and he's trying to be... He's always been bombastic, mm-hmm. but he can be subtle. Mm-hmm. And with a symphony, he's very good. I mean, he's done things like Inception. He's worked yeah. with Christopher Nolan. He's done the parts of the Caribbean soundtrack, which have, you know, really great themes to them and everything. And he's 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 an orchestral guy. I found that the music in this movie didn't go with this movie. Yeah. Like, he's, he's using too much of the synthesizers, too much in-your-face. Well, and, and I... I want him to go back to what he used to do. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of Hans Zimmer, and I feel like even uh, every part of this this movie, if you look at like directing, like we were talking about, um, and now even music was is so different from the last two films, and I feel like it's trying to bring in like I, I feel like a broken record, but trying to bring in like this new world type of scene, right? Right. So we're not seeing the orchestral, which I love, and you know, just watching Angels and Demons and watching the Da Vinci Code and and having that orchestral music when they're in the Vatican and in the Louvre right. and in the, you know, it just it kind of transports you to the, these places where where this film had more of like an electric type of feel to it. I did like, uh, well, and I guess just one difference is there were a lot of moments in, like, the suspense, you know, if somebody was being chased or somebody was, something was happening, there were, it wasn't really like a, like a full piece of music. It was almost just like a note, like a right. high-pitched, like, note or mm-hmm. something, which <clears throat> I didn't mind. I kind of liked that it kind of changed it up a little bit. Sure. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely completely different, I thought, than than the last two films, and it I enjoyed the music from the last two films, yeah. so I'm sad that that wasn't part of it. Yeah, there seems to be a thing with score now, transitioning away from full orchestra, mm-hmm. which I'm really not on board with, yeah, especially with movies like this, yeah. because it can be so much richer, deeper exactly. experience. And um, Hans Zimmer is becoming more too like in your face, and there's nothing mm-hmm. subtle about it. And if the, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't enhance the action it doesn't enhance suspense it just sort of again it becomes a little bit jarring sorry i'm just gonna go back to uh ron howard again when we look at his work you know frost nixon mm-hmm. was was a great you know i think an underserved movie the cinderella man mm-hmm. then i gotta also remember uh, mention backdraft yeah i mean when you look at this guy's career yeah it's fantastic does it just come up to when you're doing an inferno does it just come up to saying, well, you know, it's a job? Uh, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of the thought process here as to, like, why. I understand his last few movies, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't been that $100 million man that mm-hmm. we always come to expect from Ron Howard. Um, again, I mentioned Heart of the Sea, which didn't, you know make much wave at the box office it just when you when you're that talented of a of a person like you can look at that script mm-hmm. i mean also this movie was pushed back right significantly yeah. it was supposed to come out last christmas right if i remember correctly it was supposed to be out like november december yeah they pushed it to like almost uh, a year later almost a year to a time yeah where it shouldn't have had any competition, and that also says something too. Yeah, like how do you like? I didn't hear anything about reshoots or anything. They just decided to push it back, so they didn't want it to play in the summertime because they felt yeah. it was too crowded. Uh, not in January, February. Yeah, you know, let's let's release this at the uh, very beginning of November. It that that was something to yeah. be said. I did find a note in here that um, opening weekend generated over fifty million, but this is in fifty-three international markets. 
And so it made it Sony's second best opening in October, which was shocking to me because you look at the ratings and the reception that it got, and it's well, not that good. Let's talk a little bit then about about reception, about box mm-hmm. office, because I do find this interesting. And um, interesting in the means that this is a, a studio's way. So domestically, uh, mm-hmm. this is, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm getting the numbers uh, uh from the, these are numbers that I got from yesterday. Okay. Um, I can try to get. We should try to be. Um, we should try to be a little Up bit current, date. right? <laughs> so uh, I'll work on that. But we have got. It's it's interesting. Foreign, in the international markets, this movie is doing really huge business. Yeah, like really big um, business, and that to me. It makes me wonder, like, were they making this for the American market? Like, did they Maybe want not. to? So, so let's take a look. So, this is as of today. So, this is current. So, <laughs> opening weekend was fourteen point eight million dollars. Fourteen point eight. It came in number two, behind the second week of a Tyler Perry Medea movie. Oh, that's not good. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, so we're looking at that. So domestically, as of today, uh, $18.9 million. Now, foreign territories, mm-hmm. as of today, 132.7. Wow. So our worldwide gross is $151 million plus. Wow. Okay. Which is fascinating to me. Yeah. Because, we, you know, that's 151 worldwide. International knocked it out of the park. People internationally went, whether it was to see themselves in Italy, whatever. I just find that fascinating. And not too, too long ago, I had had a conversation with a friend of mine who works at Fox, and he had said that they were making a sequel to uh, that Maze Runner movie. Oh, okay. Which over here, uh, no, not Maze Runner, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm wrong. The uh, Percy Jackson. uh, Oh, the, 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 uh, Percy Jackson and the yeah. Okay, yes. but but that yes. okay. So yes. the first movie comes out does okay. It's like yeah. you guys are making a second movie. Well, it's really not for here. It's the first one was huge overseas. Oh. So so you know they can bring in an international market, and it yeah. just makes me wonder. Was this universe? I mean, I'm sure Universal did not expect to come in at number two. Why would you when you have the Tom Hanks, Ron Howard? A relatively successful series yeah. of films. The first two movies did really well. People seem to like them, but they, they couldn't have expected to come in at number two. Yeah. And then and then you have, well, let's look at the reception of this movie. Twenty mm-hmm. percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that and you know what? That shocked me a little bit, just because, like I said, I did enjoy <clears throat> this film. So when I first started my research into it, after I already watched it, then I started the research, and I saw that score, and I thought, "What? That can't be right." Twenty percent, because I liked it more than twenty percent. But then after seeing, you know, diving a little bit deeper and understanding the differences and like everything we've talked about today, now I understand why that why that score was given. Well, and again, folks, the conversation of movies, like you know, there have been times that I've come in here where I felt like I liked a movie, yeah. and then after talking about it with yeah. folks and reading people's comments, then I end up going, eh, maybe I like this movie a little bit more. And then there have been other times where <laughs> I may have not been on, I may have yeah. been on the fence, and then I yeah. talk about it, I really hate the movie. <laughs> this movie, um, uh, what I was shocked at, I was shocked at the low. Uh, percentage on, on Rotten Tomatoes, twenty mm-hmm. percent. I was like, how can Ron Howard? Up how can that be? You know. Yeah. And then I saw the movie, and it's one of the rare times, uh, folks. If you're a regular, uh, we always talk about the disparity. We 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 will talk about how we will disagree with a lot of the, mm-hmm. like you know, the majority of the critic scores. Like yeah. we will say, just like you did. That movie is far better than a 20%. But in this case, uh, sort of kind of on that side. doesn't <laughs> happen often. But the cinema score, which is a uh, it's a polling of audience members, they gave it a B plus, which to me was, was like, wow, okay. See, yeah, that and that does not add up 
with 20% on Rotten Tomatoes and then a B plus, what you would think it'd be like a C minus. <laughs> again, uh, just to give you an example, that the, the Tyler Perry, the Madeira, the, right. the Medea Halloween movie, that's like a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has an A on Cinema Score. Wow. So you know, the, the, there's always the. Another great thing is there's always the discussion of do people pay attention to reviews? Do reviews mm-hmm. really matter? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Suicide Squad's another great you know example of you know it was a not a well received movie by the critics, but people the audiences went in droves and they yeah. generally liked the movie. You know, there's always there always seems to be that chism, uh, but I have found within the most recent months that. That that chism is becoming the the gap is becoming wider and wider. Right. We reviewed a movie last week that that here on the panel we really enjoyed. It was that Ouija horror movie, oh. okay, and 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 that got an eighty percent. I think it's eighty two percent on Rotten wow. Tomatoes now. C plus on Cinema Score. <laughs> so a complete flip flop. Yeah. Of you know it it and this seems to be some some weird trend. One hundred and fifty one plus million dollars at the box office. They're obviously going to make, you know, their money back. Yeah. Um, you know, going into these upcoming weeks, you know, we have Doctor Strange. We've got this Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. All of these movies are going to be, you know. Oh, for just, sure. Yeah. It's not going to have. Yeah. This movie's not going to have the legs that domestically I think that they would have wanted yeah. or hoped for in the past. Um, so. That's pretty much it. Um, folks, if you've been joining us, you know, always, again, I find that the discussion of movies, whether you're celebrating movies, mm-hmm. like this is awesome, or whether you're commiserating about seeing a bad movie <laughs> and you just want to connect with somebody, uh, do it here, folks. An yes. anatomy of a movie. That's what we're here for. We're here to celebrate, to commiserate, to, yeah. to not here to just dislike. We don't dislike everything. This, for me, just happened to be one of those movies. <laughs> um, so... Any final wrap-up thoughts? Um, you know, I still stand by that I I did <laughs> overall enjoy this film more than I did not enjoy this film. I think, um, yeah. But um, you know, I I'm interested to see if any get made in the future. I know another book is being released soon, right. so we'll see if if this kind of continues. I don't know if Ron Howard's going to be connected to it or not. Um, but I I overall there were there were a couple questions, but I'm going to say I liked it. I, I think the next book would have to be huge yeah. and very well received if they're going to go yeah. forward. That's that's what I think. Um, uh, please, uh, again, it's, it was tremendous to work together with you. I know. It was so um, fun. Thank you very much thank for you. being uh, here and being part of Anatomy of a Movie. Yes. Again, please remind everybody how they can support you yes. on social media. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at OMG. It's MLE. And, uh, folks, if you would, please support me on uh, Twitter. That's all I'm on, not the Instagram and all that other stuff. But it's pretty simple, at DMovies1701. Uh, so, at DMovies1701, please support me. Uh, and, listen, we've got great, some well, hopefully great movies upcoming, including yes. Doctor Strange, including Hacksaw Ridge. A lot of Fantastic ones. Beasts and Where to Find Them, La La Land. Some really good. We're going into Academy Awards season. So join us. Be part of the discussion. Celebrate. Commiserate with us. That's what we're here for. We're not here just to review movies. We're here to open up a a discussion about the movies and give some insight about how that movie was made. Thank you very much, as always, for joining us and giving us your time and tuning in. Until next time, so long, folks. Bye. Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.